0: All right, good morning. If this is your first Sunday here, welcome. My name is Mark Mullery. I am the teaching pastor here, and we're going to continue a series in the Lord's Prayer. We're starting our year with a focus on prayer, 40 days of prayer. If you've been praying, uh, these cards uh, are available in the Welcome Center on your way out. If you haven't gotten one of these, we're halfway through. This is day 20, so we're Halfway through our 40 days of prayer, and I want to encourage you to let's stretch ourselves in prayer this month. And we've got 20 more days. Uh, This coming week, we're going to be praying for Julie Judd in Malawi for gospel translations and the work they're doing online, and for Helena Winter and InterVarsity uh, at NOVA. So uh, let's keep praying and following along (laughs) and praying together and what's there. And um, as we're in the series on prayer, prayer can be a struggle, prayer can be difficult. There are a lot of books with some connection to the topic of prayer, but the best book I've found to teach you how to pray and help you grow in your prayer life, the best book is by Tim Keller. And so I just want to recommend if you would like to grow in your experience of prayer, in really encountering God in prayer, um, get this book. And chapter 8... Uh, covers the Lord's Prayer. It's really well done. And uh, we've got it for sale in the bookstore. It's only eight bucks. We've got them on sale in there. So this is a a great resource to help you as you get started. Okay, so we're in what we call the Lord's Prayer. So this is Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at uh, verses 9 through 13 is the prayer. We're going to focus on verse 12 this morning. It's called the Lord's Prayer because it's the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And so we're going to pray this together As we get started this morning. So, if we can get that up on the screen, that'd be great. Thank you. Please join me. Let's all uh, lift our voices together and pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and people responded to what they had just heard, including this prayer, it's recorded that they were astonished at Jesus' teaching. Some of us have prayed this prayer many times. Some of us have read this passage many times. Some are coming new, just learning how this all works. I pray for all of us that by the power of the Holy Spirit, let us hear the voice of Christ in these words of Holy Scripture. And let us be appropriately astonished. Deliver us from the peril of familiarity, and let us hear, as for the first time, these words in the Lord's Prayer today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, 15 million people took a dip in the Ganges and Yamuna rivers in India, The largest gathering of people in the world is taking place there. There are 120 million people expected to visit this location over the next seven weeks. They're visiting there. They're taking a pilgrimage there because Hindus believe that taking a dip in these waters will cleanse them from their sins and will bring salvation. Now, I start here this morning to highlight the the reality that all over the world, people are seeking spiritual experience. People are looking for something. People know things aren't the way they're supposed to be. People are looking for decluttered houses and clean minds. People are looking for forgiveness. People are hungry for an experience, a spiritual experience. People want to know God. And Jesus, in this prayer teaches us how to experience God's nearness and God's forgiveness. In fact, Tim Keller in the book I just mentioned poses this question. This is a great question. Listen to the question. Wouldn't you like to be able to come face to face with the Father and King of the universe every day to pour out your heart to Him and to sense Him listening to and loving you? Wouldn't you like to be able to come face to face with the Father and King of the universe every day to pour out your heart to Him and to sense Him listening to and loving you? Well, that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Jesus is teaching us a prayer in which and through which we can encounter our Father. He gives it to us not just as a prayer to simply recite but as a pattern for prayer. He doesn't say pray this as though those words are the ones that need to be said every time. He says, he says pray then like this so we can pray these words or these words can become a pattern and a launch pad for prayer. He says pray our Father. And so we learn that when we pray we can come with confidence and reverence to a Father who is ready and willing to help. He says Pray, hallowed be your name, so we come learning to seek God's glory and and, uh, honor in, in prayer. We seek his kingdom to come and his will to be done, so we're seeking God's will in our lives and our worlds instead of our own will or someone else's. We're seeking daily bread, and so we're seeking God's provision for our lives. Today, we ask for forgiveness as we can commit to forgiving others, and then next week, it'll be seeking his protection. Lead us uh, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, before we jump into the, the the focus for today, some may be asking, "Hey, but what about that last line? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever." Amen. It's a great line, isn't it? And some of us grew up praying that in 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 church, and that's a that's a a, a part of this prayer in many experiences and and places. The reason, as I look at my, the ESV Bible that I'm using here today, the reason that line isn't there in verse 13, but it's down in the margin, in the footnote at the bottom, as it is in most of the Bibles that that are in use today, is because that last line isn't in the earliest manuscripts. And so even though it's been sort of a part of the church tradition for a long time, the earliest manuscripts don't have it. And so it's probably, it's a great line, it's true, it's just probably not the originally part of the prayer as Jesus was teaching it here or as Matthew recorded it in his gospel. And so that's why we're stopping with what we have in verse 13. So this morning we're focused on verse twelve. life-changing words. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Just two questions this morning. First, why does a Christian need forgiveness? Why does a Christian need forgiveness? Now, that's a little narrower question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start wider and bore down to that. I want to just ask the, the, the obvious question, the big question. Why does anyone need forgiveness? Now, I know as I'm asking that, I'm in church. I'm preaching to the choir. You, you probably know that. That's why you're here. You, what's the one word answer? We need forgiveness because of sin, right? We all know the answer to that, that, that question. But the reality is, I don't want to overlook the obvious because it's so easy to overlook the obvious and it's so easy to underestimate sin. Sin is humanity's biggest problem. The biggest problem in the world is sin and the focus of that problem ultimately isn't sin one against another, but it's human beings sinning against God. If sin isn't a prominent category, forgiveness will be a weightless category. It would be like talking about the weekend without knowing what a week is. So what is sin? What's a definition for sin? What is sin? Well, the word that we have here in verse 12 is the word debts. Did you notice that? Forgive us our debts. So there's sort of this economic language here, and that's why debtors need a redeemer to pay a redemption price. Sin creates this debt. In verse fourteen, Jesus is going to reiterate of all the things that he's saying in this, in this in teaching in this prayer. He reiterates one part at the end, and that's in verse fourteen. Look what he says there: "For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you." So he uses this word "trespasses," synonym for debts, another word for sin. Think about trespass. Think about a no trespassing sign in the Garden of Eden. The whole garden, the whole world was Adam and Eve's to go and enjoy except one tree had a no trespassing sign around it. So what did they do? Well, they trespassed. They sinned. In Luke 11, where this... Uh, 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 another version of this prayer uh, is taught, probably taught by Jesus on another occasion. That's why it's slightly different. There, Jesus teaches there, forgive us our sins. The Greek word there is hamartia, and that, that word means to miss the mark, to depart from what's right. It's like driving on a mountain road and a car veering off the road and into a ditch or over a cliff. That's what sin does. So, this is how it works. We, 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 we miss the mark. We fall short of God's glory. We cross lines that, that we're not supposed to cross. So I'll give you an example of how it works in my own life. Les and I go out Thursday night. We go out for a date. We have some ramen. It's great. We have a great time. Very pleasant evening. Driving home. It's snowing. We're in my little two-seater. Remember Thursday night how it was snowing? So of course, we're in Northern Virginia. So I've got this guy tailgating me in this two-lane road coming home. And and just push, push, push. I could just feel this pressure behind me. And then as soon as the one-lane road turns into a two-lane road, immediately, you know what this guy does, right? He darts around to the right. And that I need to get over there. So I put my turn signal on. I'm very polite. I'm a nice driver. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. And, and, and so I'm just waiting till there's a space. And so then he starts honking. Okay. And, and then he slows down, goes behind me. So I go over here. And then he goes, zooms past me. And so then we're at this red light. And he's up here, and I'm two cars behind the other lane. And here's what your teaching pastor thought. I'm going to get out of my car, and I'm going to walk over and punch out his window. <laughs> and say, dude, you need to chill out. Just relax. I did. I mean, I, I don't consider myself an angry or violent person. I think I'm a nice guy, a peacemaker. That Like, where did that thought come from? But there it is. And it was so helpful to be in this passage this week because you know what I would have normally done? I would have said, that's probably not a good idea. Don't do that and don't think thoughts like that. But I realized there's more going on there than that. I realized I'm trespassing. That's sin. Father, forgive me. And this irritating person, I forgive this person. So we need forgiveness because of the problem of Sin sin is rejecting or ignoring God and His world is trespassing against Him. Now, second part of this then is if 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 we need forgiveness because of sin, why is forgiveness possible? And this is where Jesus Christ is so spectacular and amazing and glorious. And I just want to preach the glory of Christ once more here this morning. Jesus says in this sermon, He says He's come to fulfill the law and the prophets. So I want you just to hear one. A little blurb from one of the statements in the law in Exodus 34. Here's, here's what God says about himself in Exodus 34. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. Sometimes people say, well, the God of the Old Testament's mean and angry. That's law. And the God of the New Testament is grace and loving. That's Jesus. Well, here's the God of the Old Testament. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. But here's the riddle. He's all those things and he doesn't let the guilty go unpunished. How does that work? How do you forgive guilty people and punish them at the same time? Especially when the punishment is the death penalty. Well, the riddle isn't unraveled until Jesus comes, right? And he comes as the lamb who dies as a sacrifice in place of sinners. And the guilt is atoned for. The debt is redeemed and remitted and the guilty are forgiven, and mercy abounds. Why is forgiveness possible? Because God is merciful and gracious and just. And this forgiveness, this mercy, this just forgiveness is available to all through humbling yourself before God and confessing your sins. Give yourself to what one author calls the healing humility of confession. That's how we receive this. And then that leads to one, one more question, and now we're down to, to, to where our text takes us today, and that is, okay, I'm a Christian. Why do I need to be forgiven? If God has already forgiven all my sins through Christ, why should I ask again? Wouldn't that be an act of unbelief or even ungratefulness? If my sins are already forgiven... Why am I bringing them up again? If a Christian needs to ask forgiveness, does that mean he or she has lost their salvation? Let's note what's happening in this passage. First, the address in the beginning is to our Father. In the context of the gospel and Jesus' preaching, that means this person has become a disciple of Christ and come into right standing with God. This means their sins are forgiven. They've been justified Reconciled, adopted. Redemption has been applied here. And we also notice that this is not a one-time prayer. This isn't the prayer when you really, really mess up. You really, really do something bad. This isn't the prayer to pull out for this time. This is an ongoing prayer. It's part of this daily bread. It's part of this ongoing need. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our this is a prayer for the Christian community to pray in an ongoing way. So what, what we need to remember when we see this prayer is that when a Christian sins, there's a, there's a relational effect. God is a person, not just a name, not just an idea, not just something out there. God is a person. And through Christ, you've come into a relationship with that great person. And sin affects that relationship. It disrupts it. It doesn't destroy it. But for the believer, sin disrupts your relationship with God. You know how this works in your human relationships, right? You know how when something happens, when someone sins, you you know how that affects a relationship. I'll, I'll give you an example. Parents can relate. You've probably got examples like this too. But one of my kids, uh, who will remain nameless, decided it would be fun to experiment with scissors on the floor-to-ceiling curtains in the family room. A little confetti, cut some shapes, make some holes. It didn't take too long before less and I discovered somebody's been redecorating the house. Now, what happened when we discovered this? Well, I'll tell you what did not happen. We did not march down to court and disown this child. It did, however, create some disruption in the relationship between this child and this child's parents. And that disruption required some attention and working through. That's how it works, right? Didn't disown the child, but there was a relational component to this that needed some repair. Christians know God as Father. Christians are united with Christ. Christians are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so when when you sin, you're standing before God. Your status with God is unchanged. But your communion with God, your relationship with God can be stronger or it can be weaker. And sin weakens that communion with God. It weakens that relationship with God. Sometimes when God seems far off, it's because this relational maintenance hasn't been taking place. And so when we pray, forgive us our debts, we're not seeking pardon from an angry judge. We're seeking mercy from a grieved father. This is a habit. This is a continual practice. This is routine maintenance, like clearing the strainer out in the sink. And you know, when, when you experience forgiveness, when you do this kind of maintenance, you know how this works in your human relationships too. There's, there's, when forgiveness happens in a relationship, it's a great thing, isn't it? There's freedom. There's joy. There's relief. Sin is heavy. We get weary and laden with sin. Jesus says, come to me and I'll lighten that load. Well, it's lightened through being near to him and part of that nearness comes through forgiveness. So we want to just ask ourselves here today, as we think about our needs, what do you need this morning? What are your needs as you came to this meeting? When you bring your needs to God, what do you ask for? When you ask someone to pray for you, you, what do you pray for or ask for prayer about? We know we need our daily bread. We heard about that last week. But we also need ongoing forgiveness from our Father in heaven. Is this a regular practice in your life? We are, as we sang this morning, all prone to wander. But God is a person who's affected and grieved over our sins. Do we remember that? Is that something we carry around? Do we have a way of reminding ourselves of that on a regular basis? This prayer can serve us in this way. And we as a church, we want to make it a regular practice here to pray a corporate prayers of confession to help us as a congregation live in the good of this too. We need to be forgiven as Christians because we continue to sin in a way that disrupts our relationship with the Father, it doesn't destroy it, doesn't change our status, but it does disrupt that relationship. Now, the second part of this is why must Christians forgive others? See, we're both forgiven and forgiving. You can do this message in two words forgiven forgiving. Right? Those are the concepts. Why must Christians be forgiving? My, why must Christians forgive others? Forgive us our debts. We pray to God as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is an important statement and we need to think about it. It could be misunderstood. Is Jesus teaching here that if you forgive people well enough, if you do a really good job as we have forgiven others, forgive us. So if you do a really good job of forgiving people, can you then earn God's forgiveness? Can you earn salvation from him? What's the connection between forgiving others and being forgiven? Let's be clear about this. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, in the context of The Gospel of Matthew in the context of the New Testament and the the Bible as a whole, Jesus is not making forgiving others a precondition to being forgiven by God. He's not doing that. We know this because these are people who've already been forgiven by God. They can call God Father. That's how they can do that. So they've already come into a relationship with Jesus by being poor in spirit, by repenting, by taking up their cross and following Christ, by seeking his forgiveness. So, if he's not teaching forgiveness as a precondition to receiving God's forgiveness, what is he teaching? Whatever it is, it's important enough that he says it again so we don't miss the point. So, he he repeats it here in verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If, if, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Verse 15, another if. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you yours. Listen carefully. We need to get this. Jesus is saying there is no forgiveness from God for the person who does not forgive others. Jesus is saying there is no forgiveness from God for the person who will not forgive others. Why? The same humble, poor in spirit, repentant heart that comes to God through Christ and says, forgive me for my sins. That same heart, having been forgiven much, is now able to turn toward others and extend forgiveness. This is so important to the Lord Jesus Christ that he teaches it in his prayer He follows up with a P.S., and then he tells another story recorded in chapter 18 of this gospel to vividly put on display what happens to you if you won't forgive others. Having been forgiven, if you won't forgive others, what will it look like? The story goes like this. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, comes and says, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times. Peter's probably thinking, that's pretty good, isn't it? Seven times. I'm pretty patient, forbearing. And Jesus says, no, not seven. wonder what Peter's thinking right now. Three, two. Jesus says, 77. In other words, just keep going. Just keep doing it. And then he tells a story. And the story goes like this. There's a king, and in his kingdom... There's a guy who owes the king a whole bunch of money, maybe a million dollars in modern terms. Guy can't pay it back. So the, the king is going to throw this guy in, in debtor's prison till he gets the money repaid, which is probably never going to happen if he's in prison. So the guy falls on his face and pleads for mercy. He says, oh, king, just don't put me in prison. I'll pay back every penny. And the king extends mercy and forgiveness to him, and he forgives He not only doesn't send him to prison, he releases him from the debt. He forgives the whole million bucks. And the guy is happy, goes out, and then he bumps in to one of his friends who owes him not a million, not a hundred thousand, not a thousand, maybe a hundred bucks. Guy's just been forgiven a million. You owe me a hundred bucks. He won't forgive him. He has the hundred dollar debtor thrown in jail. King finds out about it. Not Pleased with what he hears. And this is what Jesus teaches the king does. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid the entire debt. And here's the moral of the story from Jesus Christ. That's what my Heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse your brothers and sisters, excuse me, if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? Unforgiveness, bitterness. You know what bitterness is? It's just unforgiveness extended over time. It's an unwillingness to forgive. It's a harder and harder heart. Throw them in prison and let them be tortured. That's what my heavenly father will do if you refuse to forgive. Unforgiveness is the poison that you prepare for someone else and you end up drinking yourself. Unforgiveness is the prison you build in your mind for someone else and you end up locked in that cell yourself. Unforgiveness is not a victimless crime. It destroys families. It destroys churches. It destroys societies. The Puritan pastor Thomas Watson says, a man may as well go to hell for not forgiving As for not believing, unforgiveness, unresolved bitterness, these things are like fire alarms. They're warnings that you are not right with God. Now, forgiveness is a big topic, God has much to say about it in His Word. What Jesus teaches here doesn't prevent believers from confronting someone else about sin. doesn't prevent the state from punishing wrongdoers. doesn't prevent the church from disciplining sinning members. It doesn't prevent the Lord from bringing judgment on the last day. It doesn't mean an abused spouse must necessarily go back home with the abuser. But it does mean that every Christian is called to not only regular confession of sin, but to regular extension of forgiveness to others even if the person is unrepentant. Forgiving an unrepentant person looks different than forgiving a repentant person, but both must be forgiven. If you're not sure how to find your way through that, get some help from a trusted friend or a leader, an elder, counselor. This is incredibly powerful when it happens in community. At the beginning of the year, we want to ask, what kind of a church do we want to be? And a text like this calls us to the glorious opportunity to be a church that's united through continually forgiving one another. Above all, Peter writes in his letter, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I have a story that I'd like to read as I close the message this morning that brings home both the difficulty and the power of forgiving others. Some of you may be familiar with Corey Ten Boom. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place, and this is a story that she writes, recalling forgiving a guard at the concentration camp where her sister died in World War II. She writes this, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor The shame of walking naked past this man. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me the cruel things that I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But it seemed to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as i did that i had never known god's love so intensely as i did that behold the power and freedom and joy of forgiveness forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If you forgive others their trespasses, if, who is God calling you today? to forgive? Is your hand stuck in your pocket? Does it seem too hard? Is there no emotion? It's awkward. Does your heart feel too cold? Follow Corey Ten Boom's example. You can't do this on your own. But you're not on your own. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And then, can you lift your hand? Can you take that step? The person you may be thinking of right now may be dead, may not know where they are, may not be repentant, may not even want to talk to you but you can still forgive from your heart. Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As the worship team comes, I just want to take just, just a moment here. Let's be quiet and reflect on what we're hearing. And if there's something God is doing in your heart, I just want to encourage you to quietly, personally respond to him. And we'll sing together in a moment. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who may have been stuck in bitterness, in unforgiveness, who may have ended up in that prison cell. We thank you for the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of freedom, the hope of forgiveness. We pray for your presence and your power. Jesus help, each one who needs help now, to extend forgiveness to someone else. We pray as a congregation, Father, let us be a congregation that's both forgiven and forgiving, in Jesus' name.